Welcome to the Advisor Insights interviews. My name is Louise Brockman. I'm the founder and CEO of the Advisory Board Centre, and I'm here with our very special guest and Advisory Board professional, Richard McInnes. Welcome, Richard. Thanks, Louise. Great to be here. Yeah, I'm very excited about having this conversation today with you, Richard, about talking about your advisory board experience at a sector level. But before we jump into that, I'd love to really just hear um, and for you to share a bit about your background. Yeah, um, quite quite diverse background. Started off as a as an electrician originally, and then a development officer in cricket, and then spent sort of twenty years working in cricket uh, all the way from being a development officer doing school visits up to being um, national head coach, um, you know, at the elite level, uh, and then progressed into a high-performance management roles. Um, I spent some time working, obviously, within Queensland and within, a, within the Australian setup, but then went overseas to lots of two years over in Bangladesh, um, sort of setting up cricket programs and, and coaching over there, which was a, a very different experience, um, uh, but a really valuable one at the same time. Um, and then, you know, within within my coaching experience, working across both um, the the men's program and the women's program, so I got to see, you know, how the different programs operate, and, and coaching different genders is is, um, is is different, you know, subtle but significant differences in how you go about that. Uh, and then coming back from Bangladesh, spent a bit of time in a tech startup um, in and around sport, doing athlete, building an actual athlete management system. Um, so that was a completely different environment to work in um, and did that for about 18 months um, in that role, both from a you know, system development point of view, but uh, also a business development point of view globally. So that was um, exciting and interesting and, and learned a lot through that, that period and then back into sports. So then uh, in a high performance management capacity, went into the, the netball world. Um, and, and was working with one of the professional franchises there and a, and a state body. Uh, and from there into a CEO role now with a, one of our Olympic sports with Water Polo Australia. So uh, a diverse journey and, um, you know, lots of learnings along the way and um, probably developed a, a reasonable understanding of the um, end-to-end sporting sector, I suppose. Mm, and it's interesting looking at the sporting sector COVID must have had a big impact on, on the sporting sector. So you, you established the National Sports Collective as an advisory body for the sports sector. So do you mind just talking through how that actually, how that started? Yeah, so I, I can't take the credit for starting it. It was uh, okay. Jamie Jamie Parsons, who's the CEO of Badminton. Um, he and I started at a similar time, sort of late 2019 in our roles. And um, obviously, and, and there's always fairly high turnover in in national sporting organization CEOs um, for, for whatever reason. So there was quite a few of us that hadn't been in the roles for very long. And, um, you know, that was late 2019. And then COVID obviously hit 2020, March 2020. And Jamie um, um, sort of pulled together a group of people, group of CEOs, uh, to basically almost as a support group um, because we were all grappling with the issues that COVID was having on sport in terms of cancelling events and whether you can go ahead or not go ahead and how long is this going to last and what do you do about membership fees that, you know, depending on the season the season of your sport, um, whether you were going to have no membership fees if you're a winter sport or whether you had some money in the bank um, being a summer sport, you already had your registrations in. Uh, and so it started off as a, as a support group uh, and we met, you know, initially we were meeting every week because the thing, you know, the whole thing was evolving so quickly, um, and the group grew. I think there was probably only maybe nine or ten of us 
initially were, were, were meeting and I wasn't even one of the on the first meeting I think I got looped in on the second meeting so it was quite organic um, and yeah we, we were meeting regularly and then as we got towards the end of um, 2020 we yeah we'd built momentum and we were sort of we we're still meeting regularly and um, we we spoke about well and it might have actually been a bit later, but we were sort of maybe coming out of COVID a little bit. Maybe the first couple of periods where we did start think we were coming out of COVID, it wasn't the case. We went back into it again. But we talked in the group about, uh, okay, well, what else can we do? We provided every, each other with a lot of support and helped each other through. And and on the back of that, we sort of, we developed the terms of reference for the group because we were really adamant that we wanted to have a bit of a a focus we didn't want it to be a, a whinge fest i think you know it's really easy for uh, and it happens in all domains of life you know one level band together and whinge about the level above whether it's you know state government federal government local council whether it's sport it happens all the time and we were quite adamant that we wanted to be um a problem solving group not a you know a militant whinging group that were just complaining about everything that the boss was doing, if you like. Um, and so we put together a terms of reference um, and, and essentially everyone had some input into that and we we shaped that um, and put that in place. And so um, I sort of took on a role probably mid-2020, mid-2020, yeah, where I started to chair the meetings. Um, I, you know, we had a, a good piece of software, I suppose, called GovernRight, which allowed us to... Um, you know, manage and track all our action items and do agendas and, you know, it's, it's a board management software. So I started, you know, using that and started chairing the, the meetings and doing the agendas and working with, you know, the, putting the call out for agenda items and, um, and that sort of evolved. So I'm still doing that and we've been meeting every month without fail since, um, since we started. Uh, we've now up to 30 of the national sports and national sports for disabilities and all abilities. So we've got quite a diverse group now um, and, and meeting yeah, on a monthly basis. Uh, so it's been, and, and we try and, you know, CEOs have changed in that time as well. So as soon as a new CEO gets appointed into a sport, we reach out, invite them in, bring them into the, to the group and try and help them get started, um, yeah. help them learn some of the lessons that the rest of us stumbled through and discovered by accident. Um, so yeah, that's that's where we're up to, and so we're um, well, two and a half years on, we're we're still going, and it's uh, it's continuing to evolve and grow. That's great, Richard. So if we just reflect on that, it started out of an immediate need for peer support, mm. um, and then realizing that you know you could be doing more than what it was around the the function, um, and you started to formalize it by having um, a charter through a terms of reference, and mm. then nominating you as the chair for those meetings. Um, and so the frequency of the meetings now is still monthly. So in a way, it's a peer advisory group, really, isn't it? Yeah. Um, uh, what's the purpose of the group now? Um, and has it actually evolved with regards to the voice for the, for the sporting sector? Yeah, the purpose of it at the moment is to, one is sort of sharing information. So yeah. if there's, you know... A, we, we all have to do, we all have policies, you know, HR policies, operating policies, and, and most of those are quite sport agnostic. It doesn't matter which sport, it's the same same issue. So we, we share a lot of information like that. If someone's looking to build something, they'll reach out to this group and say, okay, I need to put this policy together. 
Does anyone have one? And if no one has it, well, then whoever builds it will then share it with everyone else. So there's a, a lot of sharing. Um, we act as a, as a group to interface with whether it's the AOC or the Sports Commission or the AI, the Australian Institute of Sport. Um, so rather than those bodies having to try and get to 30 sports, if they want to talk to us, they'll come to one of our meetings uh, and, we, and, and vice versa. If we have something we want to um, put forward or put an idea forward or talk about uh, with any of, the, of our sort of governing bodies, which is a few, um, we, we act as that sort of interface as well. Um, and then the other piece we look at is almost from a professional development or an opportunity space, if someone's come across, you know, a company or, a, or an organisation that's doing something really well that's useful for the sporting sector, we'll invite them in almost not as a sales pitch, but as a come and share what you're doing. And if, if people are interested or that's a value or it's affordable, then can we do that? Um, and we're now started, we're starting to move into, okay, well, how can we actually work together for collective good? So um, all of us as small um, Olympic sport NSOs, we, we don't have massive databases. So commercially, it's hard for us to individually get sponsorship, which we desperately need, but it's hard to get because we're small. But collectively, we're now talking about, okay, well, what if we bundle up five, six sports together and we go to a commercial partner because we can offer them much greater value collectively than we can individually and so we're starting to have those conversations now and even around shared services and you know historically there's been a desire to uh, integrate you know we operate in a federated model so you've got national bodies state bodies clubs and we've tried to get this vertical integration of shared services which has not really worked so now we're talking about some horizontal integration I suppose of shared services um, that we think might work so that's some things we're exploring at the moment mm, so it's 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 almost reaching the next stage now isn't mm. it see it's constantly evolving and so when we look at best practice for advisory board structures of which this is a peer advisory board structure at a sector level you have clarity of scope you have um around structure and discipline uh, and measurement of impact and then your independence and fit for purpose. When we look at the the role of your your role in particular, Richard, of being one of the CEOs of one of the representative groups, how do you manage potential the issue around independence and potential areas of conflicts of interest? Yeah, good good question. Um, I mean my role in you, you sort of said I was, I was appointed chair. I sort of volunteered, but I started chairing <laughs> it and no, everyone's, everyone's let me keep doing that. So, um, yeah, I, I sort of see my role is, is it's facilitating the conversations and, and you know, getting, um, getting input from others about what we will want to talk about. Or, um, but in terms of the conflict, yeah, we don't, I don't know if we're a decision-making body. So, a lot of a lot of the conversations we have, it's it's trying to be a win-win situation. So there's not a decision that'll be made that'll impact negatively on one group and positively on another. Um, all, all of the stuff we do around this um, collaboration and sharing, or the or the aggregated commercial stuff, is is really opt-in. If you want to be part of it, you're in. If you don't, that's okay. 
no no harm no foul there's no decision you know yeah um yeah so i i don't i don't sense there's any we haven't had to manage a conflict yet where you know if we make a decision a certain way that i'm going to get advantaged over someone else i think as we evolve into this aggregated commercial space we might because um you know, a, a particular sponsor, for example, or potential partner may wish to engage with a certain group of sports or a certain location. There might be an East Coast focused or a West Coast focus. And so therefore, only sports that have a presence there can be part of that. So that's probably one that we'll have to manage going forward. Um, and... Yeah, you know, we'll need to be careful there. I think the way we are, you know, talking about potentially managing that is that we might engage a third party to do those sort of have those discussions. So I would, I wouldn't be leading that discussion with potential partners. That would be a third party who's, you know, we we will tip in a few dollars and it helps to fund someone to go and do the procurement process for mm. a commercial partner. But that's that's one of the discussions we have to have about. Okay, what does that look like? Mm. And um, as it, I guess it moves on, it, it, it becomes more formalised and mature over time as well. Mm. But I, I think it's fascinating to see the um, evolution of uh, the advisory bodies at a at a sector level, um, uh, and the journey of when it when it starts to when it when it matures in the market. Um, when we're looking at sector based uh, peer discussion groups. Um, when we're looking at collaboration for 2023, the things that are, that are coming up for, for new pressure points in the market, it's a really interesting approach where competitors are collaborating uh, together. Um, mm. Have you got any tips then, uh, Richard, as a, as a close, close off to other sectors where they may be seen as competing that they can actually collaborate and using this type of model? Yeah, and, and sport's been a, a great example of that because there are so many at times we compete, um, but it's pretty, actually pretty rare between sports um, because you know, we're different sports, so we don't actually compete against each other on the field of play. Um, the way a lot of our funding, our high-performance funding has been um, provided historically has created some competitive tension because essentially there is one bucket of money that gets carved up uh, and your ability to put your case forward um, that's the competitive piece, but there are there are more elements of our operations where we're not competing, mm. and um, you know it's it's like a big organisation that has lots of departments. If they operate in silos, they're very inefficient, and mm. I see that that's the sporting sector. We're all, you know, there's a lot of commonality. There's a lot of stuff that is exactly the same. It doesn't matter which logos on top of it, um, and we're not competing on those things. And I think the ability. Uh, for the leaders to realise that they're not competing on the majority of things they do. Um, and in the areas where we do compete, well, that's okay. Well, then you don't, you do that. Um, mm. But they're few and far, be as far as I can tell, they're few and far between where we actually are competing for something. Mm. Um, mm. So, and if, you know, equally when we talk about the bucket of money that is the bit we have historically competed over, if we collaborate and work together, we might be able to make that bucket bigger so everybody wins. Yeah. Um, and that's the 
I suppose that's a little bit of the competitive tension and um, it's, it's work we are doing at the moment with the Sports Commission and the AOC as to how we um, work together to present a better um, case to commercial partners, to government around the value of the sporting sector um, mm. because it's quite significant to the Australian culture. You know, there's about 13 million, 13 and a half million people are involved in the Olympic sports in some way, shape or form. Now, that's a, that's a big chunk of the Australian population. Absolutely. And um, it's exciting to see that collaboration at a, at a, at a sector level too um, and the, how, how it's changed from the immediate need to support each other and seeing mm -hmm. the value of that. Richard, um, I thank you for being part of the advisory board community and uh, look forward to continue to, to watch this space and support mm -hmm. you where we can. But thank you so much for, for sharing this journey. I look forward to getting the next edition. <laughs> yep. no, thank you. Appreciate the opportunity and uh, thanks for the help. Welcome.